Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays. It's Free For All Friday time. Here we go. Good morning. Well, we're not going to do the uh, most abused Bible verses. That's kind of like our... I don't know. We might. Go-to. We might. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> or we pick a Bible verse and show how it's abused. I mean, even, even the last two times when we've taken a break from doing it, like <laughs> in the series, we've been dealing with abused. verses that have been uh, abused, so... May well, may well hit on a, a few today. Yeah, we're going to deal with issues of law and gospel today. So, and the reason we're going to do this is um, there's somewhat of a little little Twitter storm going on. Uh, Owen Strand, may, he tweeted out a couple of tweets that are, I mean, really not controversial in the least. Well. Uh, and it, it broke, it broke Twitter. It broke, it broke Christian Twitter. People went uh, bananas. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with law and gospel. Mm. Uh, I think, but what it reveals today is the trajectory that we're on. And we've been warning about this in many ways. We warned about it, um, when it comes to like the, dealing with abolition and abortion and how some would tack something onto what it's called being a uh, a real Christian. They'll say, like, real Christians do this, or faithful Christians do this. Like, this is what it looks like. And so kind of the warning we gave back then, uh, what was it called, the gospel? What was, is it, what is a gospel issue? What is a gospel issue? Hey, was Josh on our podcast mm-hmm. for that? Yeah. Yep. Kinda, that's, and, the, that's the only reason it was a good a good episode. Yeah. It's because yeah. Josh was here. Well, kind of what we... S- brought up there is there's a creeping corruption of the gospel going on in America today. Um, And that corruption is to pollute or distort the gospel with, I guess you could just say law. Right. Um, Let me, uh, I'll show, I'll show what, uh, what you mean in just a second. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry for interrupting. Of course, this is. There's a couple of reasons probably why this is emerging today, but it's definitely there. We we try to kind of raise that alarm. You don't tamper with the gospel, right? Right. Um, here, here's what I here's what what we're we're talking about. Uh, this is a this was a Facebook post from Abolish Human Abortion. Now, again, we're we're. Uh, we're not criticizing the the position that abortion should be abolished, like it should be abolished. It's it's evil. It's wicked. It's it's murder. Um, the, there's laws already on the books that if they would just enforce the the definitions of murder as written, <laughs> then abortion would be immediately abolished mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma. Uh, I ran across this a couple of weeks ago. I was going to show it to you, but I I forgot. Uh, because my wife and I were talking about this very issue. Mm-hmm. This is from Abolish Human Abortion. Check out virtually any source on quote-unquote marks of a healthy church, and you'll see what we mean. That, and they've got a little post down here. By not continually driving home how important it is to love our preborn neighbors by seeking to rescue them from slaughter, the church continually drives home that it is not important at all. And they post 
nine marks of a healthy church and IMB characteristics of a healthy church and got questions, healthy church. And they're, they're essentially saying, if you look at all these marks of a healthy church that's given by these, these sources, right. Abortion's not mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got expository preaching, you've got the importance of baptism and the Lord's Supper and uh, church discipline, and you've, you've got you've got all these, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't have abortion. So they're they're elevating this to, well, if 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 a church is not, and it, it says here by not continually driving home. And then I was reading the comments and that and <laughs> they were pretty bad because they make it sound like if the pastor is not talking in the sermon about abortion every single week, then they're not a healthy church. Right. That's they want that to be the 10th that's, mark. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that it's not important to talk about this, but they're elevating it to a place that is, I think beyond what um, we should expect. Like it becomes the most important thing for a church. And we talked about it before that some of these, uh, some of these abolitionists uh, don't even, aren't even members of a church. Like they're opposed to churches. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Because of the abortion issue. So they're, they're elevating and we've, we've even got, we've even got them uh, aligning with some pretty shady groups. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll drop names like the Ecclesia of Oklahoma. Like yeah. that's 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 a NAR organization. That's New Apostolic Reformation. They may have broken away now, Maybe. but they yeah. weren't. They weren't back then. Yeah. But when you when you're elevating um, abolition to this central place, and it's not a healthy church if it's not if the church is not talking about this constantly, then. Um, it's easy to see how you could you could start uh, getting rid of actual things that would be necessary for a healthy church, right? Like a proper view of the gospel, which yeah. is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, views of law and gospel. This has progressed, I think, because of the rise. I think maybe of uh, theonomy, and so what you see in the theonomic circles. It appears, at least to me, and, and I think these tweets kind of show that, that at least some of them, probably not all, uh, believe that the kingdom of God advances in the world through the enactment of legislation. And and you will see them celebrate that, like a law, a righteous law is enacted, the kingdom is advancing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have this definition of the kingdom <clears throat> spreading through the earth through the enactment of laws, mm-hmm. which would accord with God's law. Owen Strand made a couple tweets, mm-hmm. which kind of kicked this thing off, right. and that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I, and I think what Christians should know, before we even jump into this, is these issues are not new. Like, they've been worked through numerous times in the <laughs> church. Yeah. Luther worked through it. Calvin worked through it. You brought in the book, The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, dealing with the Marrow controversy. It was worked through then. Mm-hmm. Apparently, we're on a, like, a... A time loop repeat. Uh, yeah, we're just repeating some of the early controversies. And so every mm-hmm. generation has got to now rework years. it. Yeah. Rework uh-huh. it so. yeah. yeah. 
Um, which, and again, we have to strike kind of a balance. I, I want people to hear what we're saying and not what we're, and not assume uh, the wrong things. Uh, we should we should be glad when righteous laws are um, put into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we should celebrate when Roe versus Wade was overturned. Um, there's, I mean, it, a lot of what I saw after that was abolitionists lamenting that it wasn't good enough right but it's better than what it was <laughs> it's better than what we had so we we can at least celebrate the little victories um but we uh we don't want to go so far to to act like politics aren't important mm-hmm. um they are uh i, I came across this uh megan basham uh is that how you say it? basham I have no idea megan basham i don't know how you say yeah it i'm not name. sure um but she uh she tweeted uh, a couple of days ago, I sent this to you about the uh, the God and Country documentary that came out. We looked at that uh, that trailer a couple of months ago when that trailer first came out. The the Rob Reiner documentary about Christian nationalism, and she gives uh, she gives kind of a an overview of it. And one of the things that she said was really uh, annoying is that uh, you have Russell Moore on there uh, talking about how. Um, it's it's good to um, be deeply concerned about abortion because they care because uh, Christians care about the vulnerability of human beings. But he says the problem is when they pursue power. That's that I don't I, I don't have it up there. Uh, the the problem is when they pursue power to oppose abortion. Mm. But that's exactly what she says. That's exactly what politics is. Right. Like it's. it's like how else are you going to change laws in the in the country? Like why do we even go to the voting booth? Why 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 should Christians even go to the voting booth if they're not going to pursue power to to change things? It's 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 only good to pursue power if it's like a more liberal agenda. Well, they're trying to taint it as power is always like uh-huh, right. bad. Yeah, it's bad to pursue that's, power. That's well, not when yeah. you live in a republic, right? Uh, and any citizen can pursue power. Mm. That's kind of a unique situation, right? And then any citizen can propose law, um, which is good. And yeah. so they should pursue that which is righteous and good mm. in God's eyes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Christians should do that. I mean, I've you've heard me preach that mm-hmm. from the pulpit, right? Say maybe some of you are called to be missionaries. Good. Maybe some of you are called to be lawyers and work. For Christ in that political sphere, maybe even politicians. Mm-hmm. Like we need Christians to be pursuing all of those things. Just because someone's good at theology doesn't mean we should push them the way of going to seminary and becoming a pastor. Maybe they should become a legislator. Yeah. Like I've literally preached that from the pulpit. Um, this is something different, though. Yeah, I believe far different. Yeah. Um, before we jump into it any further. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, tweeted something uh, yesterday. Really? That was pretty good. You're joking. That was pretty good. Oh, you could throw <laughs> it up there, Larry. A vote for Donald Trump is a vote for a national abortion ban. Pass oh, it on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, she's playing politics to scare people because uh-huh. I, I don't really think, I don't think no, Donald Trump no, is no, even no. 
He's not even anti-abortion. No, no, no. He's really not. No. He's he's what's politically expedient for himself. Mm, yeah. Uh, and he knows like he had to appeal to that mm-hmm. conservative right. Russian base. Yeah. And so he's fine with Roe, but he's not for like complete abortion bans. He's made that known. Mm. But his uh, his Supreme Court justice uh, nominees helped to uh, mm-hmm. uh, to get Roe. Mm-hmm. Overturned, so there, there's something there. But I, uh, people are just laughing at it. They're like, "Sign me up!" Like, <laughs> right? Like you won, you won me over. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, she's playing politics and and playing on people's fears, but she also, uh, for people that want a national abortion ban, <laughs> there you go. I don't know, helping them out. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to work out exactly the way that you wanted it to. Yeah. But. Yeah, I'm I'm with you though. I don't I mean that's not that's not on Donald Trump's list of right. things to accomplish. Mm-hmm. No. Anyway, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Well, well should I, we jump into it? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh you want me to just show the uh, the the first tweet and we can Get into that. Yeah, what there's, you wanna, a, what you there's like do? two of them that there's were two really, of them. Yeah. He he uh, he tweets tweets the first one and gets some uh, interesting responses, and then he tweets again and gets more more interesting responses. <laughs> I I think sometimes he picks fights that are unnecessary, but this one really does reveal a problem. Yeah, a, a big problem. I think right. Yeah, I think he picked a necessary fight here. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's throw it up there and let's uh, let's jump right in, right? Uh, we are in gospel crisis today. The gospel is not kingdom activity that spreads across the earth via the nations being taught the law. The gospel is the message of Christ crucified for our atonement and resurrected for our renewal. We receive this gospel in faith and repentance. <laughs> Even reading, I'm like, yes, that's that's right. That's the that is the gospel. Like, what is the gospel? Mm-hmm. Like, what the the gospel has to have some kind of definition. What is the gospel? The gospel is. I I agree with them completely. The gospel is the message of Christ crucified for our atonement. He he dies on the cross for our sins, and God raises him from the dead for our justification. Mm-hmm. And we res- we. We receive it by faith alone. Mm-hmm. That is the gospel, right? I mean, <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing controversial. But you've got the Twitter theologians, uh-huh. and like, well, well hold up, <laughs> <laughs> right? Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in the very first one. You see it in the very first uh, response. Does the Great Commission not tell us to teach the nations all Jesus commanded us? Yes, the gospel is not the law. The gospel is also not the entire Great Commission. So you see how he's twi- he's already twisting right. what he said. Where did where did uh, where did Owen say the Great Commission anywhere in his original he tweet? He, he, didn't, he just he didn't said say the anything. gospel. He said the gospel. Right. And the first response is, well, actually, the Great Commission has us teaching the law. Right. Which we can talk about that also. <clears throat> Because we've yeah. talked about this before in the the way that that Matthew twenty eight has been reinterpreted, so we can talk about a, a, an abused Bible verse. Today. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hard to understand the good news when people don't understand the bad news. Uh, we can we can agree with that. I mean, there's uses of the law. 
Right. We're gonna, we'll get into but again, it. I think not, we'll get into the three uses. Then you got then you got somebody that uh, Calvinism was a lie and just starts going off. On, <laughs> on <laughs> Calvinism. <laughs> like, you got you got people that will just take any. Uh, yeah. Um, why make enemies of friends? I guess they're uh, uh, interpreting yeah. it as yeah, this. Yeah. Um, repentance of what repentance in what kind of context of sin in all kinds of contexts where the law is taught uh what's so amazing to me is like it shows how much people that really influence oh, people here, and, here we go here and they go. like per, uh, they're engaging online it's like if you ever just read the book of romans oh here we go here we go this is a yeah this <laughs> is a, this is what i was man. this is the one i was looking for uh, we are in a gospel crisis today. The gospel is going forth, teaching the nations to obey all that he taught, including repentance, faith in Christ, and holiness. The gospel is not perpetual pearl clutching and pew riding while the lost are dying without Christ. <laughs> you see what he's yeah, doing? I like, do. here's the gospel. The gospel is teaching the nations to obey. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then you've got uh, someone who's very. Unaware, crisis would require more than one person thinking that's the gospel. Know anyone who does? I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just just read some of the comments. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The gospel requires the law. Yeah, um, yeah. It's you hate your neighbor if you want them to live under pagan laws and root for chaos. Fell at, <laughs> yeah. fell at these commandments. Uh, on, I mean, we could look on and on, on and on. And on. Um, people responding to, I think, a really simple, <laughs> a really simple tweet right here. Right. Uh, they they they're looking at this. If anyone's clutching pearls, <laughs> it's the people that are responding to this. Uh-huh. The gospel is not kingdom activity that spreads across the earth via the nations being taught the law. That is a true statement. That is not look. That's not the gospel. Right. That is not the gospel. We we would not define the gospel as it's the law going going out to the nations. Mm-hmm. That is not that is not the law, or that's not the gospel. Right. That, that's that's not the gospel. Uh, so he uh, he tweets again. Uh, you know you are in grave danger of law overtaking gospel when you are told that the gospel contains law. That's frankly bizarre. The gospel contains not a single drop of law. This is no trifling statement. This is the difference between the true gospel and a corrupted one. I agree with that. And then this person says, what do you mean by the gospel contains not a single drop of the law? And he says, I mean that the gospel contains not a single drop of the law. Yeah. yeah. I, I really don't understand how we even arrived here, right? Yeah. Probably most of the people interacting about this stuff came out of the Reformed movement. Young restless reform movement, yeah, and I think it shows that it wasn't as nearly as successful as we thought it was. That's not a controversial statement to make. The gospel contains not a single drop of law. Mm-hmm. That's literally what all Christians after the Reformation believed up until apparently about two minutes ago. Well, so I brought in this book, um, "The Whole Christ" by Sinclair Ferguson. And this is about the um, the marrow controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, it's dealing with uh, 
a particular instance in the Scottish Presbyterian Church, and that I probably lost like half of our listeners <laughs> right, right there. <laughs> um, because why? Why does this matter? Right. Um, this was in the 18th century. It uh, it was sparked by the uh, the public the republication of a book by Edward Fisher called the 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 marrow of modern divinity, hmm. and it's stressing grace that that the gospel is is grace right um and there was controversy in the in the scottish uh presbyterian church known as the marrow controversy mm-hmm. um because there were people that were saying the some of the same things that we just read on twitter mm-hmm. that way you can't have the gospel without the law right and what do you mean that there's not a drop of right law in the gospel and and the gospel is is teaching the nations the law and and um things like that yeah so a group of men who were um sympathetic to this uh are they became known as the marrow men and the most prominent one i think that people would recognize would be thomas boston Mm -hmm. um and they were uh arguing that yes that the gospel is grace it's grace mm-hmm. um and the uh, the controversy was really over um antinomianism yeah um, which is the which is what the other side uses yes. as an insult against people like strand yes and probably people like us mm-hmm. they would say antinomians yeah All right um and so uh that's that's where the which means like anti-law yeah anti-law yeah. yeah so the so it's it comes down to like legalism on one side and antinomianism on the other side mm-hmm. and um antinomianism would be well since the gospel is all of grace then you're saying you could live however you want yeah. and there and there are there are people that that live that way uh, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, growing up, you'd hear about carnal Christians. Yeah, like these Christians. Oh, they're 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 actually believers. They you know they they trusted Christ. They they invited Jesus into their heart when they were little. But right. uh, they've just they're they're carnal Christians. Mm-hmm. Or they've they've uh, um, backslidden backslidden Christians. Right. But they're still because of once saved always saved. Um. They're they're still saved. Right. And we talked about the, the the danger of of that of misunderstanding that that idea of of once saved always saved. Mm-hmm. Um, it it doesn't mean that uh, you you make some kind of decision, you say some kind of prayer, you walk an aisle, um, and no matter how you live, you're you're once saved always saved. Uh, we we hold to perseverance of the saints that those who are actually converted, those who are actually trusting in Christ, will follow Christ. Yeah, and they and they won't fall away. That they 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 might fall into periods of <clears throat> of sin, even maybe a, a a heinous sin. Right, but they won't fully finally fall away. They'll they'll always God will always preserve them, and and they'll persevere to the end. Yeah, and I think what's also important is to know, like, if the gospel you preach. If people aren't going to accuse you of antinomianism, you probably aren't preaching the gospel, right? Well, I'm glad you brought and, that up. And you have a good quote. I've from got that. a quote. I've got a quote from a famous a famous preacher, but that I think people would would agree with. 
Yes. Before you do it, though, I'll read you an old quote. Okay. All right. P- pretty old. Is it pretty old? Say. <laughs> because Paul was is being it, accused. Is it like 2,000 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, the gospel Paul preached, he was being accused of antinomianism. Yes. And so he addresses it several times in Romans. Uh-huh. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. That's the strongest negation he can use uh-huh. in the language. <clears throat> By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism to death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul brings this up, similar allegations, several times in the book. Mm. He was accused of antinomianism. Yes. Because he's a gospel preacher. Mm. So if you've removed that from your view of the gospel, you don't have the gospel you're preaching a false gospel. People should be able to accuse you of that. Then you can clarify, obviously. Which he does. Which he does at great detail. So you've got a, a good quote. Uh, it's a longer quote. Uh, I converted it into a Word, onto this Word document. So uh, if you want to put it up on the screen so people can see it, this is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is from a sermon he preached. Um, he says, and my last word of all is, again, a word primarily to preachers. Indeed, it's a word to everybody in the sense that if ever you are putting the gospel to another person, you've got a very good test whether you're preaching the gospel in the right way. What's that? Well, let me put it like this to you. If your presentation of the gospel does not expose it to the charge of antinomianism, you're probably not putting it correctly. What do I mean by that? Just this. The gospel, you see, comes as this free gift of God, irrespective of what man does. I probably should have underlined that too. The mm-hmm. gospel is the free gift of God, irrespective of what man does. Now, the moment you say a thing like that, you're liable to provoke somebody to say, well, if that is so, it doesn't matter what I do. It's antinomianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the apostle takes up that argument more than once in this great epistle, Romans. Mm. What then? He says at the beginning of chapter six, shall we do evil, commit sin that grace might abound? He's just been saying, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. Very well, says someone, this is a marvelous doctrine, this go and get drunk, do what you like, the grace of God will put you right, antinomianism. Now, this doctrine of the scriptures, this justification by faith only, this free grace of God in salvation is always exposed to that charge of antinomianism. Paul was charged with it. He said, you know, some people say that's what I'm preaching. Paul's preaching was charged with antinomianism. So I say it is a very good test of preaching. You see, what is not evangelical preaching is this. It's the kind of preaching that says to people, now if you live a good life, if you don't commit certain sins, and if you do good to others, and if you become a church member and attend regularly and are busy and active, you will be a fine Christian and you'll go to heaven. That's the opposite of evangelical preaching. And it isn't exposed to the charge of antinomianism because it is telling men to save themselves by their good works. And it's not the gospel. Because the gospel always exposes itself to this misunderstanding from the standpoint of antinomianism. So let all of us test our preaching, our conversation, our talk to others about the gospel by that particular test. If you don't make people say things like that sometimes, if you're not misunderstood and slanderously reported from the standpoint of antinomianism, it's because you don't believe the gospel truly and you don't preach it truly. That's uh, that's hardcore. (laughs) Can't can't say it any better. Yeah, that's uh, 
That's pretty good. Yeah. It's real good. Yeah. Um, I mean, we need to re-examine what we think about the gospel. Mm-hmm. You, you've got people on on Twitter saying things like, well, the, the gospel is uh, taking the proclaiming the law to the nations. The gospel is going forth, teaching the nations to obey all that he taught, including repentance, faith in Christ, and holiness. Mm. Um, like as soon as you say, as soon as you hear the gospel, that it is the free gift of God and that he sent his only son to die for sinners, to be raised for justification, that it's just to be received by faith alone, apart from anything that you do. And your immediate response is, well, hold up. Actually, you're missing something. Yeah. You're missing something that you have to do. Mm-hmm. You need to reexamine whether you understand what the gospel actually is. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's so amazing about the gospel. I was just having this conversation uh, the other day with someone of how amazing the gospel is. It's more amazing than we could ever imagine because it truly is Christ has done everything for us. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't it doesn't require anything from us. It is Christ in in the place of sinners and his righteousness placed on us. It's, right. it's called good news because it really is good news. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, uh, you, you still have to do this. Right. Which is a big hang up for a lot of people before it clicks for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend a lot of time counseling inquirers, and by God's grace, a lot of adult people in our church have been converted. And some, I would say, we're still praying for, seem to be rather close. Um, and the the like the click that doesn't occur until it occurs like is that they're viewing they're looking at themselves and they continually are seeing that they fall short or wondering how God can accept them because they're aware of their sin but that is means they're getting close then the switch happens when the gospel comes on like a light bulb which is that Christ has done it all um, and all he requires of them is faith and repentance and faith go together because from a heart that's regenerated comes a, a heart that's repenting. But he doesn't require repentance before conversion, and by that I'll qualify to say he doesn't require you to fix all of those things that you did wrong, right? Or to examine your life thoroughly and make amends for all of the sins you've done in your life to prove you're repentant. Mm-hmm. And then you can come and hold fast to the gospel. No, it's just come as a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Yeah. The act of coming is a show of repentance, right? <laughs> um, and then repentance then flows out of that life that's been transformed by the gospel. <clears throat> um, but one of the big issues, I think, with the, the reemergence of this is the misinterpretation of the Great Commission. You agree? Yes. And it... Yeah, I do. I, I think that there... I think that um, at least a few of these comments under his uh, his tweet are misunderstanding what what the Great Commission is. Right. 
they're misunder they're they are understanding well let's 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 read the great commission and then we can see where the i think where the the uh misinterpretation is coming from okay uh, matthew chapter 28 yeah i've got it okay jesus came to them and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I've preached on this on this Great Commission passage many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the redefinition that's taking place, and we've talked about it before. It's the same view that the Catholic Church has. Yeah, I don't know if people realize that or not. Um, the Catholic Church believed their their mission, which was the Great Commission, was to take nations mm-hmm. and to make them Catholic. Yes. They would do that through all kinds of ways, political pressure, economic pressure, sometimes military conquest, and they would Christianize a nation and then teach the nation or try to teach the nation to obey his commands. Mm-hmm. And they'd even, I mean, they would incorporate all kinds of elements of other people's religions as they did this, but they saw that as their view. But the plain meaning of the text is that all peoples... Ta ethne. All peoples of the earth. Yeah, it's... It's the... It's go into the the nations Mm -hmm. and make disciples. Right. Yeah. And this goes all the way back to God's promises to Abraham. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In him, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Yes. Right, through him through this covenant promise that God makes with Abraham, which, by the way, we'll get into in Galatians 3, predates the law. Paul brings that up. Remember that? Again, I told you before, it's like people that adopt these views, they become experts at exegeting their favorite theologians or their favorite scholars on theonomy, and it's like they ignore the plain teachings of Scripture. Um, so this promise to Abraham is to all nations. And when he said that, you know what he didn't think at all? Because he knows in him, he's in his offspring, he's making a nation, right? A people. He he probably didn't go, okay, well, I know the, the laws where I just came from, like the Sumerian laws and all of these other things. Like these, what he means is like all of the nation states on earth are going to be blessed through me. It's a people, it's a people's, it's a people groups. It transcends that which is Jewish to all peoples of the earth. And then the Great Commission occurs. It's a promise of what we'll see come to fruition in Revelation, that before Christ is worshiping uh, a great multitude that no one can number. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, we forget about that. This number is so great that you can't even number it, and it consists of people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, mm. meaning all of the peoples, all of the Gentile nations uh, will come. And I think a good evidence that you have for this, that this is the correct interpretation, is that this is the tactic that the the apostles themselves strategized over. There seems to be some strategizing going on. Peter, we will take the gospel to the Jews. Paul, you will take the gospel to the Gentile nations. Right. All right. Now, then they don't go about, and I find this to be incredibly interesting. 
because when you know like Roman background, Roman history, Paul's prestigious uh, blessing, it's a blessing from God to be born a Roman citizen, you have no evidence ever that he is lobbying any governmental agency to change any laws. He has every right to do that as a citizen. He would have a right, depending on his social status, to even become a politician himself, to get in places where he could uh, influence the society through law. No evidence that he ever tries that. No instructions given from Paul to the Christian churches, which we have many, to give them a playbook on how to do that. It is a foreign, I would say an American invention that has only occurred recently that this is the idea of the Great Commission. Um, I'll say it even if people don't like it. <laughs> it seems like it seems like the Great Commission is being um, it's being taken out of the the context of the book and of the flow of redemptive history. And it's and it's almost as if the nations will be converted through the law, right? Like if we if we can just enact just laws, then the nations will become Christian, right? And that's that is that's completely foreign to what is happening as we're reading through the the scripture, right? the The nations are converted through the preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, will good things happen as as people are converted? Yes. So if you have Christian, like actual disciples in politics, they will strive to to work for righteous laws. Right. And so good so good blessings will come to a nation that has Christians in these positions. Mm-hmm. But will those laws convert the nation to Christianity? No. Because the the means by which God is converting the nations is the preaching of the gospel and the gospel is Christ has died for sinners he has been raised believe on him mm-hmm. that's the that is the gospel yes one thing they will often bring up is Jesus preaching of the kingdom so we probably should address that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand they said that's what he says when he comes that's not the same as what you say the gospel is um and so they say, look, it has this kingdom activity that he's preaching about. So how do we go about answering that? Um, I think it's helpful to look at those places, uh-huh. um, one of which I believe is in Luke. I think it's in Luke 11. What are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for Jesus' interaction with the uh, demon-possessed man after he is uh, cleansed. And freed, yeah. Here it is. I think it's in Luke. I think it begins in Luke fourteen through twenty. Now he's casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. The people marveled, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, but the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, "Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house." household falls, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. 
But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I've been influenced by Eldon Ladd, George Eldon Ladd, and he has a whole book about this. And it, it encompasses the already and the not yet. Mm-hmm. So where Christ is, and he's on earth right now, right? his kingdom is coming. Mm-hmm. So when he casts out a demon, you have you have two kingdoms in conflict. It's the kingdom of Satan, and there's Christ's kingdom. So the demonstration of the power of Christ is a demonstration of the kingdom power. That's legitimate. I and mean, that's what he means, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Because the king is here, right? The king is literally here, and so he'll he'll say something similar as he sends his disciples out. And I think this is also in Luke. He tells them to go out and to heal the sick and to tell them the kingdom has come mm-hmm. to them. So, if we want to talk about the kingdom spreading in the earth, why don't people ever bring that up? Like, we don't have like uh, legions of demon hunters. <laughs> like, where's that part of it? I think it's because we understand that this activity of Christ's kingdom in the world is an undoing of the fallenness of the world, the fallenness into sin. And law cannot accomplish that. It cannot. Only the power of Christ mediated either either directly through himself or through his disciples as they cast out demons, as they heal the sick, as they preach the gospel, is the kingdom of God coming. Right, and then the church then becomes an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, and that's how you should think of it. You know, when we were in Iraq, we were on what they would call forward operating bases, and you know what that was? That was a projection of the kingdom of the United States into a foreign land, and that's exactly what the church is. The church you just is call a, did you just call the United States a kingdom? I knew it, Jay. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> the church, the church is a projection yes. of Christ's kingdom into the world. So wherever there is a, a, a church that is preaching the gospel, discipling those people to follow Christ, caring and loving f- for each other, the kingdom is there among them, mm-hmm. and the kingdom advances where the church advances in the world. Um, and it comes in unexpected ways. Now the, the you see the parable of the seed. You have the parable of the leaven. Um, this this tree that grows. It's it, it's in unexpected ways. It's it's not in the it's not in the means that the world would expect it to to come. How would the world expect the kingdom to come? Through politics mm-hmm. and through conquest of armies. But as you read the the kingdom of God, it comes in ways that are unexpected it comes through the it comes through the conversations that christians have with their unbelieving family members right it it comes as um the the gospel is preached uh week after week Mm -hmm. and as people are actually converted then there's change right um this where neither one of us are post mill well, but thinking. but this isn't even uh this isn't even a a jab at postmillennialism. It's getting back to what how is the kingdom supposed to advance? How will the kingdom come? Will the kingdom come as as Christians strategize and put themselves in 
particular political places as they i mean uh, you you hear some of these these guys talk and they they sound like the 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 new apostolic reformation guys with their seven mountain mandate mm-hmm. like we've got to take over entertainment we've got to take over business and politics and and um all I'm saying is uh, the kingdom advances through the preaching of the gospel, not through taking and, o- taking over different different areas of society. And the gospel doesn't contain law. And the gospel does not contain law. Or you have a false gospel. Right. Yeah. I like what Luther says. I mean, he Lu- kind of dealt with this a lot. Luther, yeah, Luther is, <laughs> yeah, right. Luther is uh, he, he would be considered an antinomian. Like he is, he is, um, he, he's not, pre- he, he does not preach law. He preaches gospel. But he does preach the law. He does. Yes, he, he does. He uses. And we'll talk, and we'll talk about that. Let's you, talk about he, that. He uses the law correctly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, here's, uh, here's something that he wrote to Melanchthon. He said, if you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. And here's one of his famous his famous lines. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong or sin boldly. Mm-hmm. Sin and sin boldly. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here. For this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him, even if we were to kill or commit adultery thousands of times each day. Do you think such an exalted Lamb paid merely a small price with a meager sacrifice for our sins? Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner." So he's again he's exalting the gospel. The gospel is is not law. It is despite all of our sins, God has sent Christ to atone for all of our sins. Mm-hmm. That is the good news of the gospel is that we are set free from um the burden of the law because Christ has already fulfilled the law in our place. Right. And the 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 big um the big um main point i guess of uh the whole christ is union with christ Mm -hmm. um that the christian is justified by faith in christ and by faith in christ we're brought into union with christ Mm -hmm. and so the law is fulfilled for us in christ right and when god looks at us he sees a perfect law keeper And yes. that's good news. That's not well. You have to. You have to do this, and we've got to. We've got to uh, make sure the law goes out to all the nations. It's we need to preach Christ so that the nations will believe on Christ and come into union with Christ, mm-hmm. and thereby they will be they'll be saved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Luther's understanding of the law was he saw first that it was legally restrained human evil in the world, mm-hmm. and I think we could grow into great detail about this, how even the Gentiles who do not have the law are restrained by the law that's on their heart. Uh This is the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 2. Paul will elaborate on this. Um, It's as if the law is 
what I would kind of argue, it comes with the package of being made in the image of God, right? So we inherently know uh, that murder is bad, right? We inherently know these things. I would, I would argue even we inherently know there is a God, too. Paul will talk about that. We suppress that truth and unrighteousness, and we sear our own consciousness, 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 so right that there. so that we can be comfortable in sin. Mm-hmm. But that but that law, sometimes called natural law, is written on every human heart, and so no one is there's not a person that has an excuse before a holy God. Yeah. Then he'll shift to the Jews and he'll say, "But you have the law," and how does he talk about the law there to them as a means of condemning them? as he does the Gentiles. So that would play into Luther's second use of the law, is that the law makes sinners aware of their sin. It preps them. It's a preparatory tool to bring them to the gospel. And that's different than saying that the law, you can't understand the gospel apart from the law. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you're, you, you want to make sure that they're they're kept distinct from each other, that they're not wed to each other. So there, there is not a drop of law in the gospel. Right. You you can still use the law as as a uh, a preparation. Mm-hmm. You can think of uh, like Ray Comfort. Yes, that's the perfect example of law right. law gospel preaching. Mm-hmm. The uh, what does he call it? The way of the master. Uh-huh. Yeah, he'll ask people a series of questions using the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and people will indict themselves. Right. Have you ever lusted after a woman? Yes. And then he'll tell them, well, Jesus says you've, you're an adulterer. Mm-hmm. Have you ever stole anything? Yes. God says you're a thief. You know, he'll go through all of them, and then they're like, okay, I'm really gu- I'm guilty before a holy God. Then he gives them the gospel, mm-hmm. and they are, one serves the other. Yes. Right. But they are distinct. And you should preach the law. Like I, you know, one of the I wrote a paper on this, the preaching of the law. Uh when I was going through class. And that's really what's missing in a lot of pre- modern preaching today. Is people are they're conflating law and gospel when they're preaching. They're not using the law as Jeremiah says is it Jeremiah chapter 23, uh God's word is like a rock or like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. That should be the preaching of the law. It should be direct, it should be powerful, and it should come from the preacher with conviction to the sinner, to, and it, it condemns. But then you immediately move to a, a gospel presentation, which is free from law, mm-hmm. and frees you from the law, right? And so you don't have, you don't have correct law gospel preaching today. Now, the, lab, the label of antinomianism, again, will always be brought in against that, but Calvin elaborates on the third use of the law. Mm. So maybe we talk about that for a bit. And it's very easy to understand. What then is the law to a Christian? It becomes the means by which we grow in our sanctification. Mm. It's like he would say something, I believe, it's like a mirror we hold up, and we're able to see, um, I'm not conformed to God's will yet in my life in this area, and then through the Holy Spirit, and because you are a Christian... And because God has now given you the actual means to obey, you can pursue living righteously. And so the law serves that purpose in the Christian life. Yeah. And you freely do it out of gratitude for what God has already done for you. Yeah. Um, if we, again, if you're teaching the law to the nations, 
um, and uh, having like a mixture of gospel and law, and you're expecting the nations to obey the law apart from conversion, um, you're teaching them to be moralistic. You're teaching them to be Old Testament Israel, mm-hmm. and they're going to fail. They're going to constantly fail. It's going to be a disaster. Um, you are teaching, again, the Great Commission, you're making disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey what Christ has has taught. You're teaching disciples. Yeah. Um, you're you're not teaching the pagans. You're teaching disciples. You're not teaching nation states. Yeah. You're teaching disciples. Converted disciples. Yeah. Who have, like you said, the they now have the Holy Spirit who enables them to. They have the law written on their hearts in the new covenant. Um, they're set free from the law uh, of of works. They're now slaves of Christ. Mm-hmm. And out of love and gratitude for all that God has done for them in Christ, they're going to follow Jesus right? because they've been converted and now they're disciples. Mm-hmm. But the, the unbelieving nations are not disciples. Uh, they, they are not going to be disciples apart from regeneration. Um, a, apart from the new covenant, they're not going to be true disciples. Mm-hmm. You can go out and you can make a lot of false disciples, but true disciples are the only ones that are actually going to be able to obey God rightly. Yeah, and I think as you know, we talked about last time on our, I think on Text Driven Tuesday. I think this gets down to people not believing in the power of the gospel. They don't. I don't think people believe the gospel is enough in itself to convert a nation. I think people actually believe that. I think they're seeing the world in a mess, especially in, in America. Like we've we have gone quickly down the the Romans one trail of an apostate Gentile nation. We're into the place now to where we do things that are unthinkable, inventors of evil. Um, we have a debased mind, right? And so they see that, and they say that, look at that, this is the chaos that we have in our nation. The answer to that chaos is to fight back politically and legally, to enact just laws that will rein in this type of evil and wickedness that we have in the world. So I understand, I think, how they arrive here, but it's a very dangerous place to go because, as we see now, people are, are conflating the law with the gospel, mm-hmm. and there and you'll lose the gospel. Right, you'll lose the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you're in danger even of becoming a false teacher. So it's a it's a very serious thing, um, but we have I mean we have big portions of text to help us to understand what what was the law when the law came to Israel what was it mm-hmm. um, like Galatians chapter three. Um, would you want to read that section? Sure. Would you have a better reading voice than I do? Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 15, if you guys want to go there in your own Bible. There's a whole section about this mm-hmm. that helps us to understand. Yeah. Uh, where do you want me to start? I guess just start in 15. I, I don't know. You might could go to 10 if you want, and then I go mean, from there's... there. Or you could read the whole chapter if you're just... Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think verse ten is a good a good place to start. Um, this is actually what I was reading today, uh, so it's a good place to to go. It's already fresh yeah, in my I, mind. We came in. I came in the office and I was like, 
it's almost like people have never read Galatians chapter three. Mm-hmm. And you were like, that's what I was reading today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So you, again, the, there is the, the danger of, of like inserting the law into the gospel as, as part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, even one drop of it. Um, because the law, the law brings curses. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do it, you're cursed. Um, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith; rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So he, he, he even in that one, in those two verses, he makes a distinction between the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. He says the 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 gospel is living by faith; the law is not of faith. The law is, if you want to live by it you have to do it yeah. uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith I'll bet that that the the ESV translation of the Gentiles is ta ethne what do you think probably let me try to let me try to look it up yeah, I'll try to look it up. Uh, and that's that's union with Christ. Uh, verses thirteen and fourteen is is union with Christ. That Christ redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse for us. It, the imputation of our sin upon Christ, as He's hanging on the cross, He's cursed in our place. And then in Christ Jesus, that's union with Christ. Still, the it, blessing of Abraham might come. It's to, ethnos. It's the. I mean, it's a different. Uh, yeah. It's it, it's it's. Uh, it's the it's it's the same. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, it uh, it might come to the Gentiles, the nations, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Uh, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. You can think of like your marriage vows, like you don't go back five years later and add something to it. Right, or take something away. Um, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So it seems, I'll just say, it seems to me that people are trying to pursue the inheritance by law. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite of what he says. Yes. Yeah. It it comes through Christ. So so I I think that there's this, uh, I think there's a misunderstanding in a a wide, a wide uh, variety of Christianity that um, wants the promises without thinking about. Christ, without thinking about union with Christ. All the blessings, all the promises of Abraham are for Christ alone, mm-hmm. because he's the only one who fulfilled the righteous requirements of God. Yes. So he's the only one that, that receives the blessings. Mm-hmm. But in God's mercy, uh, because of union with Christ, 
Christ then receives the curses that we deserve on the cross. And in this this transfer, we get the blessings. We get we we get life mm-hmm. and reconciliation. Um, we get a new heavens and new earth. Um, right. We get adoption, and it's all because of union with Christ. Uh-huh. Uh, apart from union with Christ, there there are no blessings mm-hmm. uh, because they cannot come to anyone apart from Christ. And I could go off on dispensationalism now if you want me to. Oh, that's uh, all right. Yeah, okay. We'll take right. one, okay. one topic at a time. <laughs> yeah. uh, why then the law? Here's the here's yeah. the antinomianism question, right? Right. Like, why the law? Uh, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, singular, singular, until the offspring, singular offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Um, And he goes on to say, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he gives use of the law. The law is a guardian. Mm-hmm. So it it, um, it protected the nation of Israel from Is just, the word pedagogue? Yeah, um, yeah. It, and that's, that's a... It's like a in, teacher. The, in their culture, if you were a Roman boy, yeah, it's like a tutor. Your dad's off doing Roman stuff. Who knows? You know, conquering the nations via the sword. Mm. You've got a pedagogue who acts as your tutor and your guardian, and like he's in charge of your life, right? And in charge of your instruction. But when you grow up and you become of age, you no longer need a pedagogue, right? That's kind of in the background of it. Yeah. So the, the law is, is like a tutor to restrain <laughs> to restrain it the evil of Israel. Mm-hmm. Like the law, e- even in the, the worst of times, the law is still there to, to give some kind of um, fence around Israel. You could, you could have every nation on the face of the planet Earth right now um, pretend we're in a sci-fi novel. And the law is enacted. The law of Moses is enacted in every law in every nation on earth. Guess what you would have? You'd have Israel. Mm-hmm. You'd have Old Testament Israel, uh, full of hypocrites, um, two faced, breaking God's law, and just bringing curses down upon themselves. However, I mean, pretend you have a different. But world. it probably would still like. Israel was still better than some place that didn't have the law. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they were. Um, even and, uh, as they, the closer that they adhered to the law, mm-hmm. the better they were. And that, and it usually had a lot to do with their king, who their king was at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had the law in the period of the judges. Mm-hmm. The judges was not a great period. Mm-hmm. Right. So the law is not the answer to all that plagues human society. Yeah. 
The law, it, the it law impr- is good. It imprisoned. It imp- Paul says it imprisoned Israel. So it, it, it's not just a tutor, but it also is a jailer. Right. It imprisons them because the, 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 uh, the second use of the law is it reveals that they're, they're sinful. Right. I, it, the, the law is given. Paul talks about it in Romans uh, chapter 7 that he didn't know what it was to covet until he read the law that said do not covet. Mm-hmm. And the law came in. And killed him. Killed him. Right. Yeah. Because then he really realized how much of a coveter he was. Right. And so, and then there, and there's also this strange thing operating in a fallen human, where when you know something's bad, it becomes more exciting. Like why? Mm. Just because we're really wicked. Yeah. It's like uh, Augustine talking about when he was a kid, just stealing the what the was it pears? Yeah, pear or apple or something. Yeah. Just, Just he, because he because of the thrill. the rush of it, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, of doing something bad, yeah. Now that's not to say that if you're going to organize a human society from scratch, like let, like let's pretend, you know, we're on a mission trip and uh, we're all in an airplane and the whole world ends while we're on a, on an airplane ride. Like it's all of our church people. Mm-hmm. We land, everyone's dead. Well, we have to start a human society over. So who, what would we base human laws on? Well, I think obviously all of us would agree we'll follow uh, God's revealed law in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the, old, in the covenant, uh, in particular the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good foundation for a society. We'd say that would be the basis of a good and just society. So we're not saying at all that, the, that we should not even pursue to have laws based upon God's, what we know already, that is already written on every human heart, mm-hmm. as revealed in the Ten Commandments. That would be a good and just thing to do. But what we are saying is that is not the kingdom. Yeah, that's not and the that gospel. is not the king. That is not the gospel advancing mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, the gospel is not the law. Right. And that's, I think, what we want to clarify. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I mean, Paul. Paul says that that the law is is good. Yeah, the law is good. Um, it's holy. It's just. But he also, in that same section, says that um, the law produces death <laughs> because Paul realizes that you can't you can't keep the law, and there's this frustration mm-hmm. that arises uh, from the person who's trying to be righteous according to the law. Because he can't do it, and so the law just produces death, right? Um, and so he he says in in chapter eight that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. the The law in in enacting just laws is a worthy endeavor, but it is not going to accomplish the kingdom of God. Well, I think a good example of this is uh, one of the bills uh, that. Dusty Devers has put forward is about, um, and I can't, I can't off the top of my head go take you to the Old Testament text, that if you bring a charge, a false charge against someone, mm-hmm. and it's found that you're lying and that you're false, that you receive the punishment and the penalty that that person would have received mm. had they actually done it. Okay, that's a just law, uh-huh. right? So we have, it, and we see it every year. There's always a instance. There was one I recently saw a guy just got out of jail. Um, I think he did like eight years in jail on a rape charge that he didn't mm-hmm. do. Well, she eventually came out after eight years and said, he, yeah, he never did it. I was afraid to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, 
his life's ruined. I right. think he was projected to become a, uh, to go to the NFL. Like he was a, mm. a five star recruit out of high school, a big football player. His life so his life's ruined. He'll never accomplish his dreams and do what he was going to do. Nothing will happen to her in our society. Nothing. That's unjust. Right. Right. What would be just would be for her to go to jail for eight years, mm-hmm. or even how long he was sentenced for, because it might have been longer than eight that he was sentenced for. That she would receive that same punishment. Now the people of the world will come up like, "Oh, well, you're going to keep people from coming forward." And no, not at all. You now you're saying God's God's word is God's law is unjust. It's not. What it requires is is a valid evidence and valid proof. If there is valid evidence and valid proof, two or three witnesses today, forensics can act as a witness. So it doesn't have to actually be other people. But when the criteria is met, then execute justice. But if it's not, but yet we have this world, and we and there all there are countless laws that we have like that that we we would say are unjust, and we would want to see corrected and mm-hmm. changed to be and have our laws reflect God's law. Yeah. But what we are definitely not saying is the gospel is advancing. So if 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 that law gets put into place, mm-hmm. I won't say the gospel is advancing in Oklahoma. Yeah. Never will. Mm-hmm. That's a preposterous statement. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so keep them separate, because the most important thing, and the most important that ever will be, is that you do not tamper with the gospel yeah. at all. The gospel does not contain, as we said previously several times, a drop of law. Right. So. Yeah. And that's the good news of the gospel. We need to keep it good news. Right. Um, the good news is that the law does condemn us because we are helpless to, to obey it. Mm. But God has done, quoting Paul, God's done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Mm. That's the good news of the gospel, that, oh, yeah. that Christ has died for our sins and Christ has been raised and um, anyone who would look to Christ will be saved. Absolutely. Yes, good stuff. All right, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you learned um, a little bit more about your Bible. That's always our hope. But hopefully this doesn't end there. We don't just want you to learn more. A lot of people, they pursue knowledge just for knowledge's sake. They pursue theology for theology's sake. The hope and the goal is to pursue knowledge, to, to know your Bible so that you can be conformed into the image of Christ. That's the whole goal of our podcast. So if you found that this is helpful to you, please give us a like, subscribe, or share. Uh, you can download the app. It's available at all platforms where you can download apps. Um, I hope you guys have a great weekend, and you'll come back for Text Driven Tuesday. Bye-bye.